I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets crew, welcome back. I am super excited for our topic today because I think when we talk about how learning works and how people learn, I think our minds kind of automatically go to memory. Like, how do we get our students to take in more stuff, to spit it back out more accurately? <laughs> Please, somebody tell me the answer to this to this problem. Because um, I think we, we're, we're looking for that magic bullet. How do we help our students memorize things better? But that's, as we've seen, that is not how people learn. It's not just this individual thing that I put in my brain and then spit back out. It's made up of systems and distinct processes. And those distinct systems and processes involve reconstructing, not retrieving. So before we get into this, I'm gonna we're gonna have an example. We'll see if see if the boys are ready to give an example. Who what is your earliest memory? <laughs> there could be all kinds of dad jokes around memory today i know it no i i think it was around five years old i remember the family moving from uh one farm to another i think that that's probably as far back as i can go yeah i was saying the same thing probably four or five I don't think I was in kindergarten yet, but I can remember yeah, playing with a dog. One of our dogs in there that I remember that we all, the only reason I know what time it was, because when my dad told me when we got rid of that dog. So it had to be when I was before that age. Yeah. I remember, this, is a little, this will explain a lot about Becky. The thing that I remember is losing a helium balloon. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> when we think about those memories, like none of those things are are these facts that we learn. You know, I when when I talk about losing the balloon, I don't talk about learning about density and helium being lighter than the surrounding air. You know, we don't talk about what, you know what we learned about about geometry and being able to put these boxes together to move. You know, we're we're thinking about if we if we dug into it, which we're not going to right now. We don't have we don't have time to unpack these earliest memories of the alphabet. <laughs> So many things. <laughs> so many things so that we a whole other podcast, probably not coming your way anytime soon. No. Uh, we can't but, afford the counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this Alpel's the, biggest pain. The retainer so alone. <laughs> <laughs> but when we think about those things, and if you think about your own earliest memory for the folks that are listening, and think about what we attach to that. There's, there's probably a smell of that dog. There's probably those bumps in the road. There are maybe those emotional connections that we have to those things. It wasn't just this one-off thing that we're spinning back out. They're, they're really deep things that resonate that make that stick in our head. And so when we think about really activating that experience, I think one of the things that's so tricky in our classrooms is that there's, there's nothing that necessarily stands out for students about that experience of sitting in a classroom. And we're in this lecture test model of school where I'm not recalling an yeah. experience. I'm just like trying to bring this one thing back that came to me the same way all the other things did. 
So how do we not do that? That's where we want to focus today. We want to really focus in on what are those things that we do? What are those strategies we can employ that really think about how memory works, that emphasize what happens in the brain when we're trying to reconstruct, so not retrieve, trying to reconstruct those memories? And how do we really cultivate learning experiences that help students do that? And one of the things that I think about, it, it, it goes back to other conversations we've had throughout this season, but thinking about it from the whole student experience or the whole student. And so I would imagine, Becky, part of that thing with the balloon or the dog, or in my case, there was a, a jolt of adrenaline or there was more to it than just sitting there and letting the words kind of filter in one ear and go out the other it was it was part of that experience and part of that engagement so as i think about memory and, and helping students attach new knowledge to um, their current knowledge um, it, it it has to be more holistic than just this factual pieces that they're memorizing well you know i, I think we, we've talked a lot about emotion this season and, and the, the, the point that emotion plays into it. And that's an important yeah. aspect of memory and creating those memories has to have some sort of emotion to it, but also understanding the different senses and, and engaging more senses. Because again, that can we do something with a smell or, or a particular sight? Because I go back still, when I go back and, and think about certain things I saw and I read in graduate school, when I think about that thing, I have a mental picture yep. of that page yes. and a note that I wrote on that page pops up yep. to do that. Or if there's a certain smell that things about, I remember again, an emotion of a certain time when you, when you were learning something or, um, you know, growing up on a hog farm, would you smell hog manure? It doesn't, there's, I mean, there's things you learn and, and, and yeah. times you learn about those, those kind of things to do that. And I think, how do we connect that rather than having the same bland emotion happening You're in this classroom, in this chair, doing this thing? And one of the cool things is we have this we have this opportunity in school-based ag ed to get students out in the laboratory where they're out there working in the greenhouse and they can smell the soil and feel the plants, or they're out there working with the with the with an animal and they can hear the sound and smell the animal, which may not be pleasant. But how do we tap into that rather than just be in the classroom? And not saying the classroom is bad, but how do we use all the opportunities, all the tools that we have to build those memories? Yeah. And I think one of those things as you look, as we look down some of these memory relevant instructional techniques is they yet again, take the pressure off the teacher. Mm -hmm. I, hope, I hope you're hearing that just standing up and having to be an expert on this content and delivering this is not going to be super helpful in terms of students' memory. So when we think of like one of the first ones, when we think of these instructional techniques that help with that, that keep memory in mind, thinking about just asking a student to, to use a strategy they already know. They give the example, if you're having trouble thinking of ways to do this thing, look back at the diagram. Like, mm -hmm. like I can do that, that's not hard. <laughs> but I forget that, it's, that it could be that easy of just saying like, hey, use that resource. Look at that thing. Where could you find that information? Like, I don't have to know it all. I can't know it all. But I think that is so valuable is, and again, it's, it's going back and teaching some of those skills. We talk about higher order thinking and metacognition. I think else is we're teaching and we're highlighting and helping them remember how to think and how to learn rather than just what the thing is to learn. Mm 
and again, helping them make decisions on what resource do I need at this time? I, I'm again, and again, going back, call back to our session <laughs> on models. The, it's about how do I figure that out to make better inferences so I can sort things out so I know which resource to go to rather than I'm not going to go back to the library and start with the very first book in the library, you know, and work my way through till I find it. How do you make those kind of decisions? And so I, I think I'm saying too much and rambling. I, I know that, but it's like, it's so simple that sometimes we overlook it. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's so many tips and tricks for helping students remember things and some, some information that students need to know is just factual and it does take some memorization um, and yet there's others that um, are more complex that we need to go beyond that um, but I think there's also opportunities for us to think about memory and and where we were going a little bit earlier is is what are those associative type activities mm -hmm. um, I, I got a family member that's a detective for a county sheriff and they tell them in a class don't listen to music while you're doing some of this detective work because it, some of the stuff gets pretty graphic. And if you're out working out exercising and that same music comes on, that music will cause you to start thinking oh. or pull those images or, and, and back into your memory. So they're like, you don't wanna do that type of thing. So that's how powerful music and some other things, you know, I. I even, you know, another example, you know, we do a lot of process and a lot of reflection and thinking on the road when we're traveling and how many times have I passed a spot and remembered that, oh, yesterday I was <laughs> yeah. thinking about this when I drove by. Yeah. So how powerful are those associations and those visual cues and music and other things that we have um, in our memory and in our recall? Even how they talk about this is outside of how people learn, but if you really want to know you learned something or know it, you need to practice it in a different environment from where you learned it. And especially like I think about learning languages. And if you just walk a track while you're listening to the language, that'll be great. And you'll know it while you're on the track. But yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> outside of there, you may not be able to apply it as well. Well, and so that goes into again, we're talking about laboratories, but it's just, it's using the space we have available to us. The good thing about that, you know, with I get a lot of times we have a lot of space and you may go out to the, to the land lab or to a garden or to a greenhouse and you may not have to use that tool to teach on, but just move, having the physical thing of like, we're going to go stand outside and we're going to answer this question. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to go move over here and just kind of move it using movement can be a positive way. Again, it can be, there should be some challenges there as well, but if you can set it up right, you can use those kind of things to your advantage in developing memory. The other instructional tech, so there are two instructional techniques, and then there are three instru instructional techniques that really focus deliberately on those memory demands. The other instructional technique is those metacognitive questions. So asking students not just what strategy, what strategy did you use? How would you figure that out? But how would you know that it worked? Mm -hmm. What's going to be that measure of success? And so again, taking the pressure off you as a teacher to say, how will you know? Like, what, what is that measure? How do we start getting students to kind of work through that process on their own to start thinking about how do I start building these memory cues for myself? How will I know that that worked? How will I know that I've used the right 
the right tool. So I, that's what I go to the next, like, that's my first choice next time. Again, going back to we're, we're building models that help students kind of know where to go when they're reconstructing a memory. Yeah, I, again, it goes back that it's so critical to help our students and learners know what does success look like? And success is not just getting an A. Yeah. Oh. You know, and <laughs> again, I, I pick on my two sons a lot in here because they don't listen. So they don't, we'll never know we talk about them. But the classes where, or the things where he's like, I'm going to learn this to, because I know what success looks like. I share with you in previous podcasts, like my oldest son taught himself how to repair small, small boat engines on small boats by watching YouTube and learning and trial and error, but he knew what the goal was. So too often when you're in class, it's like the goal is just to survive to the next bell and answer the question. I don't know what the purpose is. And I think if we can help them understand what the purpose of education and purpose of the learning is there, that's going to increase motivation a whole lot more, which is going to then lead to a more deeply rooted memory. With that, a purpose that's really relevant. Like, I think you hear, we hear purpose and we think, okay, what's the standard I need to meet? What's yeah. my objective? And no, 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 no. Like, yeah, okay, you may need to do that. But why is this important to your students where they are today? When your student is coming and caring about the basketball game tonight, and when they're concerned about the girl who's not texting them or whatever else mm -hmm. your students are concerned about, why should they give give any care in the world just, about what's you happening? You just hit the nail on the head. I think particularly in this generation that we're trying to educate now, they, they're more interested in the why than other generations. And so being able to, as part of your lesson, not only just saying, it's not, you just need to know this. Right. Trust me. I said so. Yeah, just trust <laughs> me. But having a conversation and putting it into a context so that they know the why, certainly it's helpful. So the next set is looking at these instructional techniques, really being deliberate with memory demands. So we think about those instructional activities where we're requesting information from memory and the presentation of instructional information by the teacher. So we might say, today we're building our own cars. Who knows the first step to take when building a new structure? Some of that, it's not just saying, what's the first, like it's, it's not going cars to cars. It's saying, what else do you know about this? So it's not, so when we say, say we're building our own cars, great. You don't need to know anything about how to build a car, but you've probably built something before. What have you built before and where do we start? And I think, I think with that, and, and, and one of the common themes we'll see through all of these memory strategies that we're talking about is we had to learn how to ask good questions. Yeah and continue to ask probing questions and get students feeling comfortable in engaging and responding. And maybe we have to redirect or refocus those questions, but continuing to ask questions. And, and so that we're teasing that information from students and we're not necessarily giving that, but we're asking enough questions that they're gonna, they're gonna be able to come up with their own answers and, and, and not count on us just to give them the facts. And that's my challenge. I think one of the challenges I get to, to ag teachers that are listening to this is your lesson plan. I challenge you to just litter it with questions that you can ask your, your, your students because asking good questions is difficult and not very few people can ask a good question off the top of their head. We proved that 
every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but going through and deliberately thinking through what are some possible questions I could be asking and refining those questions every time you teach that lesson. Um, so that you're you're getting to that depth of knowledge because so many times our questions stay at the surface level and they don't get to that level, that level of depth we need here. And, and we can't be expected because if you're in the moment of teaching, you're you're orchestrating this this this, this massive thing going on. Spend some time ahead of time to think about those questions. And I think asking those questions gets to that next strategy as far as how do we set our questions up in ways that help build those retrieval and reconstructing pathways. So it's not just, hey, here's this thing I want you to answer. Brian, blah, 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 blah. Brian goes, uh, you can't see my face, but it's Brian freezing. You're mimicking Brian, <laughs> Brian buffering. <laughs> exactly, yes. So, but when we think of something as simple as, you know, hey, here are all these modes of transportation that have wheels. What's another vehicle you've seen around town that also has wheel, like, get us in this mindset where do i need to pull these things from what experiences do i need to bring to mind that are going to help me with with connecting to what we're doing right now yeah and i and i think if we're we're centering this around questions and memory and helping people kind of process all of that and i think another place that we could revisit pretty quickly is bloom's taxonomy mm -hmm. and thinking about those verbs and and the difference between remembering and, and going all the way up to um uh, creating, but in between there, we're asking students to analyze, we're asking them to evaluate. Those are great places where um, students would, we could ask a lot of, a lot of questions and help students get to that point. And, and not every lesson needs to be at that level, obviously, but we could really think about using Blooms to help us with that. Dang it, that old Blooms is still useful. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Who would have thought, thought, yeah. <laughs> last one since we're coming up on time here the last one is metacognition and i think we've already said this word's a little scary mm -hmm. can we just talk about how we reflect on the learning that we've done and the example that how people learn gives is what kind of gear is this how did you figure that out so helping students not just okay there's the answer how did you know how did we get there what are the because i think part of what we forget in this this still goes back to learning being a social and emotional endeavor yeah. So if you're asking student A, how did you know, they're articulating that is also helping the other 29 students in the room. It's not just for the benefit of that one, like you feel like, oh my goodness, metacognition takes so much time, but it helps everybody else to hear them go through that. Oh, that's how you had to do that. And the more we can articulate that, oh, that's what I have to do, the better we're building up those processes for everybody, I hope. Great point. I think, yeah, you know, it's not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boom, it, right there. It's not just for the individual. It's just not for the teacher, but it's for the whole class. And how many times a day do we have those aha moments? And it's like, why didn't I think of that? But having, having hearing other people walk through their thought process certainly can be impactful. So with that, gave you a couple strategies to think about today when we think about really how do we help students reconstruct those memories and i think really taking away from this that we don't need to put just a ton of weight on any specific assessment or any specific strategy relative to a learner's knowledge and skills because memory is as complex as all these other brain processes that we've been talking about so a student doesn't get them all right on a multiple choice test 
okay, we're asking for a lot of retrieval that might not have a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of connection. How else can we ask students to demonstrate? What are those other ways that we can really draw on what we know about memory to help students show what show what they know and thinking, keeping in mind as we consider those and as we try to get creative with those, memories are going to be reconstructed more easily in situations that feel relevant to the content of the memory. And I think, again, when we go back to this lecture test model, we're not using that in context. It's not, it's not as relevant to our students and it's where we're really well positioned as ag teachers to have those applications and to really think creatively about how do we, how do we help students remember remember what we're doing. The last thing I'll leave you with is another book recommendation. Um, the Expert Teacher by Mead um, gets to some of this pedagogical content knowledge stuff mm -hmm. relative to memory and brain science um, that I think can be really, really helpful if you're looking to dig in more on the, how do I do this? How do I, how do I actually plan for teaching with memory in mind? So with that, we will let you chew on some of those things until next time. See you later, All Pellets Land. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.